and welcome back to the Angel Investors Access Show. On this series, we talk to startups, angel investors, VC firms, mentors, coaches, and stakeholders that play a part in the Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem. Proudly brought to you by C2 Angels, helping build a community of like-minded, aspiring angel investors right across Australia and beyond. Have you booked your angel opportunity investment discovery session yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Become an angel investor today and visit c2angels.com. And now let's head to the next episode and join me with our special guest. Well, welcome back everyone to another episode of Angel Investors Access with your host, Brandon Burns from c2angels.com. I'm excited for today's guest. I'm a little bit jealous because he's in Adelaide and I'm stuck in Melbourne. It's the CEO and co-founder of Nona and the Accelerator Chair at the Entrepreneurs Organisation Adelaide. It's Mike Scott. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to be in Adelaide, so I understand you're jealous at the moment. <laughs> Mate, my pleasure. It's great to have you on the show because you've worn so many different hats around being entrepreneur, founder, mentor, advisor, and uh, you've got some great global experience under your belt as well. And you're a proud bootstrapper. So we were talking off air earlier about how you've never actually had to raise capital, which is kudos to you. We're going to get to that shortly, but what I love to do at the start of our show is paint a picture visually for our listener who's driving or on the treadmill, and I'd love to get a deeper dive into understanding what a typical day in the life of Mike Scott looks like. Yeah, so I'm, a, I'm an obsessive habit optimizer. So I believe very, very powerful in setting up my days in terms of habits and not worrying too much about the goals and the outcomes, but focusing far more on the habits and then the goals and the outcomes take care of themselves. Funnily, you asked this question because about four days ago, I actually published a post um, on 23 habits that I do every single day that basically stack up for life success. And that life success is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, everything. Um, and that article's done really well because people are going, do you really do these things every day? And, and the answer is yes, because they stack up against each other. So a typical day for me, I wake up eight hours after I go to sleep. And that's really important. So I don't wake up at a specific time. It usually ends up being between five and 6.30 in the morning. But I prioritize eight hours. I'm going to go really quickly because there's a lot of stuff here. I go through my morning routine, which includes a whole bunch of stuff, meditation, walking, journaling, writing, exercise, etc. Um, I don't turn my phone on until at least one hour after I've woken up. I then set up my day into very structured chunks of deep work. So I try and only do two structured, structured chunks of deep work every day for 45 minutes each. Other than that, it's just not realistic. And throughout my day, because my day is quite strange in terms of how it's structured, I build in the rest of my life. So training, family time, eating dinner with my family, everything that I need to do. Um, and it's because my team is predominantly based in a very different time zone. So I'm in Australia, most of my team is in Cape Town, South Africa. There's seven and a half hours difference between us. So I need to manage my energy levels so that at three or 4 p.m., when they are just waking up and coming online, I've still got a good two to six hours of calls ahead of me and I've got to lead a team and I've got to keep the energy and bring the energy. Um, so my day is very structured, it's very disciplined, it's very routine and habit-based. And I want to just make a note on that that is not naturally who I am. Naturally, I procrastinate and I am undisciplined and I am all over the place. But I've learned over the years that discipline, habit, and routine actually makes me feel less stressed, more free, and more in control. 
Love that, mate. What a great learning and the journey to have gone on and sounds like you and your businesses have been all the better for it. Um, I wonder if you could share with me maybe the, uh, the best way people can learn more about uh, Nona and also um, how they can check it out just so people can start to Google you and the business while we chat. Yeah, completely. So the easiest way to learn more about us is our website. So it's Nona, it's N-O-N-A dot digital. So that's it. Just www.nona.digital. There's no.com or .com.au there. And then if you want to learn more about us, follow us on, on LinkedIn. I'm a big fan of the LinkedIn channel. I think it's a fantastic channel. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, Nona is very active on LinkedIn. And get in touch. Talk to us. I, I love talking to other business leaders. I love talking to other founders, other entrepreneurs. Um, we've got a very active blog on our website. Um, I write a lot on our website and on Medium. And you can find me and Nona on LinkedIn, Medium, or the URL that I just gave you. I love it, mate. Can you be brave enough um, and share with us maybe a key mistake or challenge you faced, which has actually become a really good blessing and learning lesson? Yeah, so, so two big ones come to mind. Um, one is in the early days, the way that we used to hire people was put out an ad, meet the person, have a chat. If there was a good vibe, we'd say, you look great. I think you'd be fantastic. Let's have a beer. You've got the job. And that worked sometimes, to be fair, but it almost cost us the business in other times. So the key thing was make sure that your hiring, interviewing, and onboard processes are really, really good. Invest the time in getting that process right and taking the time to really assess the people that are coming into your business, not just for what they're capable of doing, but for culture, for gut check. It, it can cost you so, so massively if you get this wrong as you begin to grow your business. And we didn't do it because we thought we were smarter than everyone else. We thought we could sit in a room and go, oh, it's fine, I'll, I'll have a chat, I'll look at some code or I'll look at some design or I'll look at whatever it is they need to do. We'll, we'll be able to tell, we're, we're smarter than everyone else. We're, and that's just not true, we're just not. We, we made a lot of really, really big mistakes. So now our interview process, our assessment process, our onboarding process is, is pretty ridiculous to be honest but if we get through that and if somebody gets through that it is pretty much certain that they're a really good fit for the business in every in every sense technically cultural everything the other thing is it self-selects because if you've got someone that is not prepared to go through a long process and that's an important thing to the business it'll kind of self-select because if someone says oh man i'm not doing a second interview or a third interview just take it or leave it for us that's a pretty good indicator that they wouldn't be a good fit for us right right point so that's the one thing is, you know, Jim Collins says, hire slowly, fire fast. And I, I really do agree with that. Take your time when you're hiring, as difficult as it is, it often feels like you need to just pull the trigger. You actually don't. Because undoing that, unless you're sitting in America where it's really easy to get rid of people, undoing that is very, very expensive and painful. And it can really alienate the good people in your business. Another lesson yeah. that I've learned is... Um, you know, in the early days, we, all of our business came from word of mouth and referrals. And again, we got arrogant. We, we got complacent because we were like, oh, we don't need to market. We don't need sales. We'll just keep growing because we're awesome. And everybody tells everybody else about us. Now, that was cool to get us to like, I don't know, maybe 10 people, maybe 15 people. But now that we're at a size and at a growth rate that is much bigger than that, it took us too long to actually go, we, this is extremely arrogant. We actually need to be 
properly active in our marketing activities and our sales activities and going out and getting business and refining our offering. And that whole process, we left way too long. We should have started that a long, long time ago because you get to a point where all of a sudden those referrals and that word of mouth stuff just isn't big enough to keep you going. Yeah. And now you've got this monstrous overhead in terms of salaries or however your, your business oper operates. And all of a sudden you go, wow, wow, we've got no work. What, what are we going to do? So again, get clear on your marketing activities really early. Understand what niche you're in. Understand what your target market looks like. Understand the problem you're solving. Get these things crystal, crystal clear as early as you can and hyper-focus on the problem that you're solving for your client and then speaking to the world about that all the time. Don't speak about you. Don't speak about how awesome you are. Just speak about how you can help your target client get over their challenge or get through their obstacle. So those, I think, are two big lessons that, I, that we really did badly, very badly in the early days. But, you know, in Ryan Holiday's words, the obstacle became the way. You know, the yep. thing that we got so wrong, we realized, hold on, if we can get this right, we're actually going to have a step change. Yeah, mate, that's fantastic to hear. And it sounds like you've built a really uh, strong and resilient team as a result. Um, I wonder if you could help me understand, given that you're in the space you are and you would receive overtures, pitch decks, founders reaching out every day to collaborate, to use your services, to look for investment. How have you implemented a process or a method to get to a yes or no decision quicker so that the process doesn't become all-consuming all and, and time just gets evaporated? Yeah, look, we... We made very, very few investments, um, but, but to your point, you're absolutely right. We get a lot of requests saying, hey, we've got the best idea ever. No one will invest in us, so we're prepared to give you sweat equity. And you know, our, our response pretty much standard now is, listen, if you've got the best idea ever, the last thing in the world you should be doing is giving away equity. And, and here's the thing, investors, VCs, their biggest problem is actually finding good quality deal flow. So if you really do have a good idea, you'll have investors lining up at the door, right? Yep. So we're a small business. We're not Sequoia Capital or, or you know, Andreessen Horowitz or whatever. So the guys that are coming to us, they're generally not very sophisticated. But we do get yep. a lot. And some of them are very sophisticated. And the ones that are sophisticated, we take very seriously. So we developed a, a very simple but we developed a process that we put through investment opportunities to have a look at, okay, is this good or is this bad? Um, and I want to just repeat, we're, we've made very, very few investments. It's not something we're known for and it's not something that we do often. But the interesting thing was, you know, so we look at, is there zero marginal cost? Is this thing infinitely scalable? Who is the founding team? What is the market that they're creating? Does the market already exist or do you have to create a market in order for this product? And all these questions that we go through and, and we know, and, and you can Google these questions in five minutes. What's interesting is that we've had a couple of these products where the answers have been yes, tick, 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 tick. But where it almost always falls down is with the team, with the founders. You know, the idea is good. Um, it, we, we might get all, all the sort of things that we're looking for, but almost always when we say no, it's because the team doesn't have a track record of success, can't demonstrate resilience. And it's interesting because when you start studying sort of Silicon Valley, quote unquote, investments, it always comes down to three things. It comes down to they invest in team. Like what have these people done? Are they believable? Can they move around if they pivot the product? Because products come and go, people don't. It comes down to what I love this, this term, the moat, 
you know, how is this product defendable? How is it different? How can they defend it against competitors? And then it comes down to route to market. How are you actually going to get this into users' hands? And this investment we've made recently, the interesting thing about it is that at the end of the day, it's all about the team. We know the team and we know that they've got a track record of success. The product itself is almost certainly going to change a lot between now and when it's actually launched to the market. But the team has got a track record and demonstrate resilience and success and everything that, that a founder needs. So I guess to answer your question, we created a framework to put these things through that would basically spit out an obvious no or a, okay, let's keep looking at this. And that framework almost always, unfortunately, spits out an obvious no. Um, where there is a yes, we'll use the lean canvas to throw the idea through the lean canvas. Um, it's a great methodology. Um, anyone listening can just go to, I think it's leanstack.com, I think is a free resource, which I love. And you throw it through a lean canvas in 20 minutes, you can really have a look at your business idea and you'll get a good sense of it. Um, but like I said in the beginning, we're not investors, we're not professional investors, we're not sophisticated investors, but we do get a lens into seeing what really works and what doesn't work because we work with a lot of startups who are very successful. Yeah, I mean, it's a real edge and a point of difference you've got there, but also because you go through the process validating an MVP with, with clients, um, that particularly I, I would see boating really well for, for sourcing and being able to act upon a really good opportunity. I'd love yeah. to hear from you, from one, I'm trying to get an insight from you around the relationship between angel investor, who is at the end of the day, a person, and early stage business founder that is a person. What are some ways in which the two can communicate better or they can get a deeper understanding of what's going on in each other's mind as to what they, they need to feel confident to move forward? Because we have a lot of guests on the show who talk about investing in people over ideas, and you've, you've mentioned that yourself. And obviously, the communication element for people to know what they need to outline to give an investor confidence, but also what an investor can work on uh, knowing what to say and ask for to give themselves the confidence to, to back an opportunity. I just wonder if you've got some comments around how the two can better interact and give each other the, the confidence they need to move forward. Because the ultimate goal for us is for you know, funds to be deployed, founders to be backed, and business to thrive, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to drop any knowledge bombs here, but just purely speaking from experience and observation, I think money is relatively easy to get, but good money and bad money are very different things. So, you okay. know, we've watched, we've watched clients, um, and these aren't necessarily all angel investors. They might be VCs, they might be private equity, they might just be, I don't even know what else I would categorize them as, but this is not specifically to angel investors, but I think very inexperienced founders will just take the first money that they can get. And that money might come with some serious strings attached to it further down the line. Um, similarly, I think, you know, the, the angel investor definition, I still think is quite unclear in general in the market. You know, is it someone that comes and gives you money and just says, that's it, there's money, I'm taking a pot shot. Is it someone that literally your angel that comes in i read a definition the other day that it was i think it's crazy it was saying an angel investor is like your guardian angel that comes and gives you money when you need it most and i was just going that is that is not how i understand an angel investor but but fine um it's sort of like a rescuer which is just not how i see it at all but i think yep. what, what i'm trying to illustrate here is that 
communication between people is just the most important thing. Whether you are co-founders, whether you are investors and um, founders, whether you are staff and founders, that communication is just absolutely critical and that transparency. And the thing at Nona that I can say has probably been the single biggest factor in successful clients and not successful clients is how much and the quality of communication between us and the clients. It's hardly ever okay. been a very good client relationship and a very bad client relationship for us. It's very seldom got anything to do with the work or the delivery. It's got to do with the quality and the frequency of the communication. And I don't think that should be any different in a founder investor relationship. The investors should, um, you know, upfront, we need to understand what does this investor have a say in if they get a seat at the table in terms of a board role or a voting right, is it on the budget? Is it not on the budget? Can they actually, can they meddle in the business or are they just there as an advisor? So whenever I'm asked for opinions on whether people should take investment or don't take investment, my first question is just apart from the money, what are they going to bring you? Because money is not a difficult thing to find if you have a good product or a good idea. It really isn't. Great What's point. What you find is investors that are going to strategically maximize what you're doing with that money. So can that person, can that investor open up networks for you? Do they have a business that might be your first client? What is it that they're bringing beyond just the money? Because money you can get from banks, money you can get from people who give you no strategic advantage. One of my very good friends is very, very wealthy. He, he has a great term. People ask him to invest all the time. And he often does, but he hardly ever gives money. Or if he does give money, it's a very small percentage of the value he's bringing. Because he says, if you want money, go to a bank. I'm not a bank. What I can do is in my sphere of excellence, which in his case is retail, I can open up relationships. I can accelerate your learning by five years. I can save you all these things. I can use my infrastructure to help you accelerate this. But if you want money, go to a bank. I'm not a bank, which is an interesting take, right? Um, because obviously that's quite an extreme view. But I do like the, the notion of saying, if you're looking to an angel investor just for cash, maybe consider it again. Maybe say, what can they bring me? What, what is their domain expertise, et cetera, et cetera. So, your question was, you know, how can you improve the relationship? I, I don't know beyond just communicating more and just being very clear upfront about the expectations. Um, I don't know what else one could do. Yeah, no, that's good, mate. I love it. It's great insight. We're running out of your precious time, so we're going to have to hold you to a part two. But maybe we'll finish this part one episode with, I'd love to hear from you if you were speaking to, you know, a first-time angel, someone that's sort of teetering on thinking about, I'm going to go for this and get involved. Talk to me about the importance of them doing so, but also the experience, the fun, the, the outcome that they can potentially experience also as a result of, of getting in at ground zero with an individual in a business. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think investing in startups is, maybe it goes without saying, but it's incredibly risky. So understand that just statistically speaking, if you invest in a startup, the chances are that it won't work. <laughs> so one needs to be realistic about what you're doing. So yeah. I, I think the advice from the, from the early stages is do your due diligence. You, you know, understand what it is you're investing in. Understand the market. Understand the, the founders. Understand the competitive analysis. And there are tools out there. I mentioned one already, the Lean Canvas. Before mm -hmm. you go and deploy your capital, have a good understanding of, of your, at least your idea of the chances of success, at least your idea of the clarity of the problem that, it's be, that is being solved. 
it, it sort of, it startles me quite often when I speak to people who call themselves angel investors that have almost zero understanding of their portfolio companies um, and, and their portfolio people. So that's, that's something. Um, but the upside of that is, you know, we, we're involved in a startup that I thought would have died a long time ago. We, we're, very, we're very disconnected, but we have equity in that startup from a long time ago. And it's been the most amazing thing to watch because a very strong leader came in they then brought in a CEO who was really awesome. They got rid of some old people who, who maybe weren't so well suited. And I almost couldn't believe it. I got a shareholders report the other day and it looks like they've turned a corner and they're profitable. And that is just wow. an incredible thing. And now there's a good chance they're going to go and raise around the VC funding. They've asked me to join the board. That is amazing to watch that. If you can turn one of these things around and be part of that and actually create value out of nothing, it's an incredible, it's an incredible process. Um, and obviously there are financial gains that come with that that can be huge, but it comes from understanding the people and the problem that you're investing in, which might sound silly, but, but start there, know what problem you're solving and know the people that you're investing in. Love it, mate. You've been an amazing guest. We've got through so much, but we're going to have to do this all again. CEO and co-founder of Nona, Mike Scott. Enjoying Adelaide and the surround whilst we're in lockdown. <laughs> thanks for being on our show and sharing a little insight into your journey today. Yeah, thanks for having me and uh, keep up the great work on building this community. Thank you. And that's all we have time for today on the Angel Investors Access Show, your series with Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. If you're thinking about becoming an angel investor and you don't know where to start, then you know exactly where to head, c2angels.com, and book your angel investment opportunity discovery session now. Until next time, I'm Brandon Burns, and I'll catch you later.